the second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't move. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Philly Frenetics podcast. John, Joe, blah, blah, blah. John, we were this close. We were this close to playing for a championship here in Philly. The Union were this close. I have to say there's one consolation I think I could take out of this. I don't know if you're going to take the same consolation out of it. I, I don't really know what it is you possibly could be bringing up, but we'll save it for when we talk about it. Obviously, talking about the Eastern Conference Finals yesterday at uh, Subaru Park in Chester. John, I'm assuming you tuned in at least a little bit and that you're ready to talk about the game. I did. I caught most of the second half. Unfortunately, I had another obligation yesterday morning. See, see people say things like that, and it's like, you want to go to the game? And they're like, oh, I have other plans. Sorry. Or, oh, there's somewhere else I have to be. And I'm like, well, no. What could be more important? Whatever. I... People's I mean, priorities in this case, work, notwithstanding. But, you know. I mean, what what's what's like a half day of whatever. Regardless, otherwise, how are you, John? Probably not that good, but I feel like not that good is probably a <laughs> like high in the clouds feeling compared to how you're feeling today. I mean, I, I sit here and talk to you once a week about Philadelphia sports, so. I'm kind of used to being disappointed by by sports results. It's kind of in our blood, but uh, a good season comes to a, a disappointing and, and kind of strange end. We'll talk about it more in a little bit, but you know it is what it is, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get over it. I'll get over it. I think that's what they tell me. But anyway, there's a, a lot for us to talk about this week, and only one of those topics is is any good. And even that, I'm not sure how good it is. So I think a couple weeks ago, we were on the good vibes train, and now we're, uh, I don't even know what train we're on. Are you doing anything to ease the pain? Or should I say, what are you drinking? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I've got this leftover generic light beer that I was saving for a tailgate on Saturday for the MLS Cup final that uh, I'm not using anymore. So uh, we're digging into that. John, what are you drinking? Nothing. And I'll tell you why. A couple of weeks ago, I was drinking the Kool-Aid, and now I'm feeling the effects of drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> it's all over. And that was What Are You Drinking? Brought to you this week by the Golden Days Era Veterans Committee for the Baseball Hall of Fame, who once again did not elect Dick Allen. What are you guys drinking? Could you believe that when you saw that story? One vote. Out of only was one 16? vote short. Was it 16 people voted? I believe so. And it's a different 16 people than the last time, right? I'm not sure. I, uh, the only person who I know for sure was on the committee was Mike Schmidt, who was lobbying, allegedly lobbying hard for Dick Allen, I, I, which I, I believe that. Um, like that would be the ultimate heel move. It turned out like he didn't vote for him <laughs> or <laughs> forgot. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, and it's funny, no disrespect to the other players who were voted in. Um, but when you, when you look at their numbers, they're at least comparable, if not in some cases better. Um, I know he doesn't have the lofty totals that a lot of other Hall of Famers have, but it's right. he's, he's a percentage guy. He's actually a perfect analytics guy. 
because he's an OPS war OPS plus like WRC whatever. <laughs> Just throw a few letters dude. together. Exactly. And, yeah. <laughs> like he's he's exactly that type of player, and especially with the hindsight of history and the growing understanding of what it was like for him to play here at that time, you would have thought, hey, like th- this is the year. And I didn't, I wasn't even really worried about it because I thought, well, there's no way he's not in. People were saying this is the year for the last, I think like 14, 15 months. Right. Um, and, you know, when you look at the other guys, I actually think he might, having never never seen any of them play, really, he might have had the best career, maybe with the exception of Gil Hodges, who has a lot of uh, Brooklyn Dodgers folklore, you know, behind that. And honestly, it's kind of a shock that it took him this long. Um, but I, I, I don't know if this is a, a Brooklyn Dodgers podcast or how many Brooklyn Dodgers podcasts <laughs> we're competing with. Um, but Talk about heel turns. We're going to completely pivot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just just in general, like I, I am disappointed, hopefully down the line. And, and it is one of those things where you figure, okay, well, he didn't get in the last time. He didn't get in last year because of COVID because they can't figure out Zoom or conference calls. <laughs> well, this is the Veterans Committee, John. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you figure like, you know, he passed away. This is the perfect year where it could almost be, you know, I would say bittersweet. And then it turns around and you wonder, I, I think it's another four years before they even meet. So it's almost like at that point, it, it it's definitely going to ring a lot more hollow if he does get in. I thought that there would be fewer people, you know, like that it would be some sort of like exclusive honor to be chosen by this committee. They only, what, five or six guys got voted in by this committee? I'm adding that there's another, there was another vote as well. I know uh, Buck O'Neill, who started the Negro League Museum, he was a big uh, figure back in in that era of baseball. He was finally elected to the Hall of Fame as well, and there was somebody else. I, I know there were five or six names in total, and it's like, really, like, that's, that's how it like if that many people were getting in and they didn't find one more vote for Dick Allen, that's at, and and I, I wonder if if unfortunately the fact that you know they missed the opportunity to do it during his lifetime in some ways plays a role where they think, well, you know what, it's it's you know, he's passed, so we get to him when we get to him, which would be a terrible way to think about it, but it wouldn't surprise me if that factored into some people's calculus. We probably won't get the the self-important columns like we get from the active Hall of Fame election writers when they make some sort of controversial vote. But hopefully someone will explain their logic and we'll get to the bottom of it. John, that was just the second disappointing thing that happened yesterday. Another uh, one uh, one tally short type of occurrence <laughs> happening within hours of the other yeah, I, I found out about Dick Allen not making the Hall of Fame while I was sitting in my car after the Union match. I, I've put it off long enough. The Union fall 2-1 to one to NYCFC in the MLS Eastern Conference Final. The match marred by the lack of 11 players, including, depending on, on how you want to slice it, five or six starters for the Union, two of their top three strikers, a potential super sub off the bench, the league's best goalkeeper, 
three of the four guys that would have started on the back line, also the team captain, just an unconscionable number of guys of of consequence missing from the squad due to COVID health and safety protocols. The story broke on Friday that the union were going to be potentially in some trouble and not much was said. Nothing really was said by the organization until Jim Curtin had a press conference on Saturday, I believe. Actually, I think he had a press conference on Friday and he, he mentioned it. He mentioned they hadn't practiced the day before because of it at all. We didn't know the names until Saturday. And that's when we found out all the guys that were going to be out. And there was a story this morning, uh, Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad, he is kind of plugged in as as a union, uh, I don't want to say insider, but it's probably the right way to put it. And And he wrote a story. He had kind of culled together what happened. And, you know, you think about all the stories we've heard, like Lou Williams going out to, to order wings, I believe, during the bubble. James Harden going to a club. And you kind of think, man, I really hope it wasn't anything like that because... You know, here's the biggest match in the history of the franchise. Everyone's all excited for it, and our guys are just doing whatever. It turns out it was it was just really bad luck and a confluence of a number of circumstances. Uh, according to Kevin Kincaid's article, there were staffers who tested positive. It wasn't just players. One of the possible sources is the significant other of one of the players. And when I heard about it, my speculation personally was, I wonder if there was a large gathering of families at the match the previous week and something happened in there and that made people contacts. It's possible that that could have been something. Apparently another player had contact with a family member who had traveled to the U.S. from overseas. And then the big thing that kind of grabbed Union Twitter was this rumor of a birthday party, possibly for Andre Blake, the Union goalkeeper whose birthday I believe was Sunday or Monday of last week. And it turns out that there may have been a gathering of some sort, but people who were there had been cleared for Sunday. So that is not the source of the outbreak. Possibly the biggest thing was Olivier Mbizo, the starting right back under normal circumstances was out for the last two matches due to COVID protocols. He contracted COVID while he was with his national team plays for Cameroon African Cup of Nations qualifying, he was over in South Africa, which we all now know is the, I think, the birthplace of the Omicron variant, if not the birthplace, the place where it blew up first. He possibly could have been a source of an outbreak here. A number of different circumstances all coming together at the absolute worst time. Without really anything standing out as you know, where we could be outraged as fans going, right. Oh, that, that seemed careless. The, yeah. It, it, it maybe if, if somebody came from overseas and they were interacting with them, but the thing is everyone on the team is vaccinated. They were following whatever protocols all year long. And it's just awful luck that at the worst possible time, everybody got sick or everybody tested positive. We didn't know any of all of that information until this morning. Yesterday, kickoff was a little after three o'clock. I don't know if I was just in denial and just waiting for the starting lineup to be announced to see if maybe some of the guys would clear the protocols. 
They did not. So I get to the stadium. Everybody there. It, it was almost like the perfect Philly sports story. You know, like the, the whole no one likes us. We don't care thing is a soccer thing. It comes from Millwall over in England and union fans were doing that before Jason Kelsey picked it up. Okay. That really kind of defines union fandom in a lot of ways, at least the way that I think we see ourselves in the eyes of the rest of the league. Nobody likes us and we don't care. It is the most Philly accurate (laughs) take you could, you could say. And this was just feeding into that. Like, all right, well, there were some people who were up in arms that the game was being played. This match was never going to be postponed, okay? The union had enough players on their overall roster to field a team, and they they called up a few guys from their affiliate under hardship waivers. If they didn't have enough guys to field a team, the match would have been forfeited. There was no postponement was was possible. Right. It's it was like never were going, going to happen. It's not like uh, ABC slash Disney slash whoever was going exactly. to bump uh, Monday Night Football right. <laughs> for this. So it was, you know, it was scheduled at this time and yeah. it was, and uh, you know, maybe Those if are the was, breaks. Those are the breaks. Maybe if it was like a scholastic sporting event, you could understand the spirit of competition, but you have to flip it around if we're on the other side and right. they were to postpone it for a New York or Boston or LA team, we'd be going, hey, conspiracy theory, what about us? You know, it's just, it's professional sports. It stinks. There are there are some questions over whether or not MLS could have updated its protocols, which the most recent version seems to be from April, which is before vaccines were widely uh, in arms, I guess, of seems people like they in might the want age to group. That. Yeah, of people in the age group that the union players are were not widely vaccinated yet at that point. And so... There's some question as to whether, you know, would updated protocols have cleared some of those guys? Were they sick? And if so, then, you know, they wouldn't be able to play. Like, what? how many positive tests were there, et cetera, et cetera. So, like I said, a confluence of, of circumstances came together. You know what else came together, John? The plan, because it worked for 87 minutes. For 87 minutes yesterday, things went about as well as you could have expected. They came out in the first half, and there's two things you can do there, really. One, you can turtle up and just hope to defend, defend, defend. In soccer, they call it park the bus. Park the bus and then maybe try to steal a goal on a counterattack, maybe get a set piece, make something happen. The other approach is start all your offensive players, just go all out because your defense is what's been weakened mostly by these absences. Just go all out and just try to score early, then park the bus. Jim Curtin, union manager, chose a third option. Same formation, same tactics as always. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, <laughs> if it ain't broke, broke, but it's missing a few parts, yeah. They they played somewhat close to their normal style. Uh, from what I gathered, my, my seats are are on, on the end line, so I don't really get a good... You know, overall view of the field. It seems like they pressed maybe a little higher up than usual, but the idea was they had to protect the back line, right? So that means you can't be too aggressive, but you also still need to kind of deny New York the possession. It, it was going to be an interesting stylistic matchup because you had the Union who 
as as Matt DeGeorge said a couple weeks ago, they like to press. They they don't mind letting you have the ball, and then they harass you into mistakes and, and make something happen. New York is happy to have the ball. So you were going to have a team that wants possession and a team that is more than willing to give you possession. And it kind of, nothing really changed. I don't really know what New York's approach was going from feeling like, all right, we're missing our top scorer because their top scorer picked up two yellow cards in the semifinal match. So he was out. That was the big story right up until Friday. You know, they, they came into it originally like, all right, we've got to figure out how to, to cover for that. And then it turned to, we're going to be playing against a team half made of reserves. So you wonder if there's a little tentativeness there. At halftime, nil-nil. Honestly, the Union had kind of been the better side. They'd had the more dangerous chances, not anything, you know, super golden or anything like that. But it, it, it kind of gave you, if you sat back and you thought, you know what? They, they, they're acquitting themselves well. Second half starts, 20 seconds in, the Union get a chance, can't convert it. In the, I, I believe, 62nd, 63rd minute, Daniel Gazdag, a beautiful ball into Casper Shabilko. We thought he had scored it. You see the replay. He, he forced an own goal. The NYCFC player slid in, put it into his own goal. Everyone's going crazy. Everyone also knows what, what you're going to do now. You're going to park that bus. You got to defend for a half hour and you're going to Portland against all odds. You're going to Portland. They didn't even have a chance to start the bus up (laughs) because NYCFC goes right down the other end. And I had said to the people I was sitting with, they just have to, they have to weather these next few minutes. You're always most vulnerable right after you score. And what happens? NYCFC scores a goal. A, a, a brilliant save by Matt Freeze, the backup keeper, who in his own right is a good keeper. He, he's a Union Academy product. They were prepared for Andre Blake to be sold to a European team over the last few years. Matt Freeze would have stepped in as a new keeper, and they would have been happy with that. He makes a great save, but he's only able to parry it away. He's not able to catch it. The rebound comes down, and Olivier Ambizo, who I just talked about before, along with some others, got caught ball watching. You can see the replay. He stops. And it's the guy who he was closest to that runs in and puts the rebound home. So it's 1-1. You get into the late part of the second half. And this is where the guys who were sitting behind me really got on my nerves with their lack of, of any sort of tactical knowledge of the game or the situation. They were wondering aloud and then starting to yell about when Jim Curtin was going to put a sub on. What they forgot was all the subs were on the field. Like the guys who you would bring in to change things up were already playing in the game. They only had three guys. Right. Paxton Jim Harrison was the sub in this instance. Well, you know what? He somebody. wasn't a bad defender. He probably, if he's got some, you know, maybe 20, 25 minutes in his legs, add him to the roster. <laughs> but you had Paxton Aronson, Anthony Fontana, and then Jesus Bueno, who I believe his, his biggest contribution this year, they signed him midseason was that whenever he comes into the game, you get a chuckle out of the fans when the announcer says, entering the match, bueno! Like, that's the the extent of what he's done this year. So you're saying he's no bueno. I'm not saying he's no bueno. I'm saying we have no idea if he's any bueno. (laughs) So there, there really weren't a lot of options. Everyone else was an academy person or 
the 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 MLS pool keeper. Uh, you know, you know how you see those stories about NHL teams using a local goalie as their emergency goalkeeper. MLS has a guy who whose job is to train with a team, and then in an emergency situation, be added to the roster of a team and fly across the country. <laughs> oh wow! So we're talking yeah. about like to throw a name from the past, like a Phillies manager like waving out to bring in like Irish Mike Ryan from the bullpen. <laughs> No, and, it's like a Phillies manager penciling in as a starting pitcher in Game 7 of the NLCS, a guy who's been working out with the Colorado Rockies all year and just flew in for the game. Like, it's it's more akin to that. But that does seem play. like a very Philly solution, so let's <laughs> yeah. not go too far into this nightmare. Uh, his name is Greg Ranjitsing. He did not play, um, but had something happened to Matt Freeze, he would have been in. Ironically enough, he's a guy who has been signed with the union before. And then MLS took him on as the pool keeper. So I don't think he's played for the union, but he has been dressed for the union for matches in the past. Anyway, it's neither here nor there. The point is there, there were no subs other really than Pax and Aronson to make. Anthony Fontana has had success in the past, but I can't remember the last time I saw him in a match. So all, all game long, they're, they're shielding that back line. They're forcing NYCFC out wide, which is good because their home matches at Yankee Stadium, there is no width to the field. So that's not really a strong suit for them. And they were getting the job done. Shout out to Nathan Harriel. He's a Union Academy project. He was making his third start, I think, of the year, maybe of his career. Um, he he did a great job out there on the left wing, shutting down the NYCFC attack. And Baizo was was good for a lot of the game, too. It kind of gives you some some hope for the future that these young guys are going to be able to man those positions full-time. Kai Wagner is always rumored now to be heading off to Europe at the end of the season. So if that happens, they're in good hands with Nathan Harriel. But when you get to the 70-some minute, right, in this situation, you're holding on for extra time at that point. All right? And you have to get to that point where you can then decide, hey, I'm going to throw my subs on and see what happens and try to win it or continue to hold on and try to get the penalties. So when you get into the 70-some minute, Jim Curtin has to make a decision, and his decision is, my subs are all offensive subs. I'm not going to throw them all. Who is he going to put them on for, you know? You could argue Casper Shabilko needed to come off. He looked a little gassed. He's your only available striker. Sergio Santos, Corey Burke, they were in the protocols. There, there, was, there was nobody to put into the game, and these guys behind me clearly don't understand that. 88th minute, the Union had just missed a chance. Harriel had a header that went just over the bar. I saw a highlight of it. If it had gone in, I have a sense it may have come back for offside. But it was very close. NYCFC goes to the other end of the field, and a ball comes in, and Mbizo, I don't know what he was doing. He got himself spun around. I think he lost the ball. He definitely lost his man, and his man sends the toe poke across. Ball goes goes in, and the dream has died. <laughs> and at that point, you put on Paxson Aronson and Anthony Fontana, and it's like, oh, a lot of good they're going to do. They got to play for five minutes. The goal came too late. They would have actually been better off conceding in the 72nd, 73rd, 75th minute to give those guys a chance to maybe have an impact. They were so close. They were three minutes and change away from getting to extra time, and it just wasn't to be. I think the biggest takeaway from that game, which kind of the opposite of what the clowns behind me 
might think, Jim Curtin has absolutely lapped the field when it comes to the coaches in Philadelphia. No disrespect to Mike Yo, who is currently coaching his first game. But <laughs> it, it, it is just it's 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 so impressive to me to see the the growth of the club and and him as a manager this week there was a story from the athletic that FC Cincinnati who just hired a former union front office guy to run their team desperately wants him to come coach the team now when when you see that story on the surface you're like he's a Philly guy He's been with the union forever. He was part of the academy. He's been managing the first team for like seven years now. He's not going to leave now. Well, here's the thing. Cincinnati's ownership seems to be committed to trying to spend a little bit and to try to elevate that team. They've been last in MLS the last three seasons. They have a, a gorgeous new stadium. It's where the U.S. just beat Mexico last month. They are primed to kind of restart that franchise. They need a manager like Jim Curtin to run that team. The union ownership, which now again includes Kevin Durant, right? The union ownership could look at this and think that the success of the last three seasons, you finished third, first, and second in the Eastern Conference, and you've advanced to the conference final for the first time this year. Like They're a team on the rise. They're a team that is, is near the top of their segment of the league. They could look at this as, as vindication for their method, right? Their academy, one of the best in the league, very well respected. Just keep on keeping on. Or they could look at this and say, we're, we're two guys away from being a legitimate contender. We need a, a top-level designated player, expensive striker to score some goals. And we need another guy to score some goals. We're going to have to open the purse strings, but it's worth it. Okay. You talk about teams being one or two players away. You know, you talked about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers being a player away. And it just so happened that that player was Tom Brady, right? The union are probably one or two players away, assuming they don't lose guys. And if they do, then if they can replace those guys, they're still, just, they're one or two players away from being a team that's going to compete for the league championship. They already almost did it, and they almost got through with half their team out. The ownership has to take that step and and be willing to do it. And if they're not, I could easily see Jim Curtin leaving. I don't think he'll go to Cincinnati, but I don't know that he'll be here beyond maybe next season if they don't you know, loosen the purse strings and write a check or two. Because if they don't, then this may be as far as this team can go. And... That who could blame him? The guy who scored the game-winning goal for New York City yesterday, his transfer fee probably double the size of the union payroll. So I'm not saying you got to go and get a guy like that, but you, you got to go and do something. And with the money they've made from transfers in recent years, they can do it. They they just have to. And I think that if they don't, they could lose their most valuable asset, which right now is their manager. To me, this sounds like a uh, spend money to make money solution. Um, when you look at what the union have done over the last, you know, two seasons, last year was a little hard to kind of gauge fan momentum because there were no fans in the stadium. And then this year, 
having this success, having three home playoff games, all very dramatic. It seems like if you really want to build something and not have no offense, sort of the, uh, I guess the fifth wheel, if you don't want to be the, like the fifth wheel of Philly sports and you really want to turn into some kind of destination, you probably need to seize on this moment because if there's one thing we've learned about Philadelphia fans to sort of echo Jimmy Rollins, there is a bandwagon effect. I'm not saying we're all bandwagon fans, but right, right, right. we know how to ride momentum. You know, we can sometimes get a little too carried away, but we know how to ride momentum. And it seems like if you really want to turn Subaru Park into a destination, spending, getting people in, showing a commitment to winning instead of saying like, hey, this was the high water mark of our franchise. Let's start all over again. To me, you know, where are your priorities? They've already, especially given that they were given that stadium, you know, from the taxpayers, it seems like it's a good way to kind of <laughs> give back to the taxpayers. That stadium was electric yesterday, John. And it, it was in part because of the backs against the wall mentality. Had that not been the case, there would have been the the palpable feeling of excitement of having a legitimate chance to win and go on to the final. But it turned into all right, it's us versus everybody, as always. And it did come across to the TV. I know the previous week we talked about how, you know, I didn't really pick up the vibes as much on TV, but I actually did pick it up yesterday. And I don't know how much of it was back against the wall slash, you know, one game away, you know, whatever. But, you know, I did pick up an electric vibe, you know, across the, you know, from the TV. And, as soon as I turned the game on, too, because I didn't, I wasn't able to watch it. Like I said, until you know the second half, and I turned it on, and I was one. I was shocked given the COVID news that you know I thought oh, this this is a you know going to be good, and then I turned it on. I was like, whoa! Like you know, I can't believe this is. They happening. weren't scared. They did not play like a team that was down half their team. <laughs> but it, I it said that like, to the people I was yeah. with. I was like, they're they're not doing anything different, really. They're just. They're being a little more cautious and 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 not trying to get caught out. But like, I I, I was impressed. I was proud. I, I'm not. I'm disappointed in the result. I'm not disappointed in anybody in that organization right now. So I do have uh, one question for you. We didn't, we didn't get to it yet. Uh, so one question before we go to break. Towards the end, I don't know how much you saw. If you have stomached a replay yet, there I was a little contact. <laughs> Uh, down by the uh, the goal line to where I, I thought you know they refs might give them an extra chance to kind of get back in this game. Are you referring it to a play that to left a Union player down on the ground for a little while inside the eighteen yard box? That's the one. Yeah, no, 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 no penalty, John. That is okay. right where my seats are. And granted, I was looking through the net and and the goalposts a little bit. Uh, it, it looked to me like uh, whoever it was who was on the ground, and I didn't take note, and I won't call him out here because I don't know who it was. I don't want to impugn anyone's integrity, but uh, throughout the match, when when they would take a, a rough tackle and there'd be a whistle, they were staying down maybe a little longer than normal. Just, hey, we, we've got these 11 guys who need to play 90 minutes. If we can get an extra few seconds breather here and there, it, it's pretty standard across the sport. Nobody really, you know, they weren't dogging it to try to get calls. This is as soccer players was, are want to do. There, right. there was but, no But this was no this wasn't hamming yes. it up to get a call. This was yeah. more like, all right, well I'm down. All right, let's let's catch our breath. 
I, I won't say it was it was that. I, I will say that I do think a lot was made of that play by the player. I could look at, at a video angle and be incensed. I don't know, but the VAR, the video assistant referee, was would have checked on that at MLS headquarters and and uh, radioed into the referee to take a look. And my seats are right where the VAR monitor is. So all throughout a normal match, I'm like waving to the referee as if he can see me and pointing to the monitor and letting him know, hey, hey, it's right here. Come take another look. It's right here. They never really take me up on that offer. And uh, they didn't yesterday either. But I'm, I'm not I'm not concerned about the no call in that situation. Okay, I, the, the the one thing I when we I get figured, done, I'm going to look up a clip and then I'm probably going to throw things right. <laughs> yeah, I, to, to me, I, I was kind of leaning towards your direction, but as the soccer authority, I, I was kind of. Oh, or, or, I'm sorry, as not being the soccer authority <laughs> oh, that, here. I thought you were, I was going to say that's a little bit of a uh, <laughs> a little bit of extra responsibility on me that I don't think I need to shoulder. <laughs> no, but as, as not being the soccer authority, I thought I would defer to your to your judgment. But my eye my eyes kind of told me the same thing. But it was one of those situations where, you know, as fans, you're kind of hoping you get that little last second break where you go, I mean, there's there's one more chance. We might still be in this. Ultimately, it did not come to pass. But hey, next season starts February 26th. So <laughs> get your ticket orders in and uh, union ownership, get your checkbook out. All right. Considering I just talked for like 20 straight minutes, I need a break. I need to have a little more of my beverage. So let's step aside for a minute. And when we come back, we will... We will address the other football team in Philadelphia. Minshew mania. Is it here? Does it matter? And the Flyers really, really trying to get into the show. They fired Elaine Vigneault today. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we come back here on the Philly Frenetics podcast. So stick around. We're back here on the Philly Frenetics podcast. John, I've refreshed. I'm, I'm going to try to try to have some energy and be positive. It's time for Minshew mania. Gardner oh, Minshew leads the Eagles to victory. And it, it just it, like <laughs> the, the peak was only so high. I feel like you're describing the Gardner Minshew era before it really gets going. Uh, I'll just ask you straight up. Are you surprised when we found out that Jalen Hurts wasn't going to play? Are you surprised by the result of yesterday's game because I'm not. Not really. I mean, Gardner Minshew, it seemed like the kind of thing Gardner Minshew is capable of doing. He's he's a bottom, I would say like a bottom third quarterback. He's a good, he's he's a perfect backup type guy. He can come in, win, win a couple games. He probably can't win, you know, 12 plus games. I mean, who knows? It's it's tough when you're coming from Jacksonville. It's It's really hard to to gauge your performance, but you know, I, I'm not surprised. And I'm also not surprised that given that there's two weeks of content for local sports talk radio to fill <laughs> that we have a quarterback controversy, but do we, because Nick Sirianni no, tried to actually, pour some no, cold water on it. Here's the thing. I don't really know how to, to, to phrase this. Gardner Minshew is a better quarterback than Jalen hurts. All right, is he a better football player? I don't know. But he's a better quarterback. Okay. There, there is a difference. 
Gardner Minshew can throw the ball. Jalen Hurts is, well, I won't say he's proven that he can't so much as he hasn't proven that he can throw it effectively and consistently. This is a passing league. This is a franchise that wants to pass. Yeah, when Hurts breaks off a run or, or keeps a drive going with his legs, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, it's useful. Gardner Minshew is a better quarterback with a capital Q, like quarterback, than Jalen Hurts. If you ask me which one I'd rather have running my team, I think that depends on what kind of offense you want your team to run. You like when they run the ball, you're going to pick Jalen Hurts. If you want them to throw the ball all the time, Minshew's probably your guy. Minshew's not your guy. He's your guy that's on the roster right now. Put it that way. Right. And honestly, a a lot of this, like you said, depends on what you're going with. But the answer to your question is, I really want to see what happens, what Jalen Hurts does next, and then I'll get back to you. And I don't mean that as in the, I will, you know, ride the hot hand while I can type of answer. This was the week I wanted to see, I think, like the rest of the city, how Jalen Hurts bounced back, even if it's against the Jets, how he bounced back from a horrific performance against the Giants in the same stadium one week prior. And he couldn't do it. But now all of a sudden he has to bounce back wait around for a bye week and, you know, a quote, quote, unquote, quarterback controversy. So we, you know, we're seeing him do this now. Like this is, this is what we want. You want to see, again, I'm not, I'm obviously I, I will go to a baseball analogy as often as I can, but you learn more sometimes from a guy after they bounce back from like a four strikeout game than when they're on a hot streak. How do they, bounce back how do they correct themselves same thing with Jalen Hurts he had a couple weeks you know thanks to the coaching staff who finally got their you know their game plan together you know they had a couple weeks where everything was in sync and then they had a week where nothing was synced up whatsoever so how were they going to bounce back we don't know we still don't know Um, so finding the answer to that question two weeks from now I'll get back to you I think the fact that it's the Jets kind of does matter. And I, I think it's, it, it really, it, it's why I don't think we have a, a quarterback controversy. I'd be willing to give the Eagles coaching staff the benefit of the doubt. Hold on. I know. Hold on. <laughs> in knowing that. What are you in this drinking? situation? I know, right? That in this situation, this might've been a good opportunity to get Jalen Hurts some rest when his ankle is maybe 50-50. If this were a playoff game, I think they put him out there. If this were against a tougher team, maybe they put him out there. But against the Jets, who are, I mean, we don't have a really good football team, so I really shouldn't be pointing fingers, but the Jets are awful. They seem like they're awful from the top down, year in, year out. And you have an opportunity for Gardner Minshew to 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 go do what he does and obviously they're comfortable with him being their backup quarterback he has shown competence in the league before I wonder if you know we had a a perfect storm of of bad things happen to the union I wonder if this was the perfect storm of of circumstances for the Eagles to say you know what Gardner is not going to cost us this game the way that Jalen Hurts cost us the game against the Giants Cost is a harsh way to put it. J- Jalen Hurts did more bad for the Eagles last Sunday 
than good. Gardner Minshew probably wasn't going to do that against the Jets. Hang on, hang on. I got this. The Gardner was going to plant the seeds that gave root to the plan as it grew. And you, we couldn't always see it. But now he was given the chance to blossom. And here we are. That's what the coach said. You know it. You know that's what he said in the game room. Anyway, looking at the box score, the Eagles ran for 185 yards. I was pretty close. I, I went on the record as saying they would run for 200. They got pretty close. Um, I, I just, I, I'm hesitant to, obviously, you know, you, you want to go into the bye with a little bit of momentum. I'm hesitant to take anything from it because of the opponent and because a week earlier, they were so bad that winning this game doesn't really erase that bad taste. It doesn't really, I mean, they're, they're right now a half game out of a playoff spot. They will be a half game into a playoff spot had they just beaten the awful, awful Giants. So I don't really know if there's, if this is a sign of things to come, but the reality is they're going to be in contention for a playoff spot when they hit that stretch of four division games in a row to end the season. Three of them at home, which usually is a good thing, not this year. So we'll see. And honestly, considering I just said game room instead of locker room, I, I think that's, that's a sign <laughs> we probably need to move on. But I do, I do want to say this was my experience yesterday. Neither of us was able to watch the game because we were at other games. But I did see about two minutes of the game uh, when I was uh, finished up with my other obligation. Someone flipped on the game and the graphic was the Jets haven't had a first down since 1.50 p.m. That was the stat, and it was around 3 o'clock. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen that, but kudos to, I believe it was CBS, for you know popping up that stat, which tells me that it's a local TV crew that is used to the Jets not having first downs <laughs> for extended periods of time. You know so somebody I, sat there at halftime and rewound, like, when did they get a first down? <laughs> exactly. So that happened, and then by the time I actually made it to my car to drive back, uh, Meryl and Mike were talking about uh, West Side Story, uh, I think they were inspired by the Jets uh, in the conversation, but <laughs> all of a sudden it started going the, uh, do you know that they're making a remake of the movie? No, I didn't know that. That's, I believe that is a garbage time filling uh, at a high level. And final score it was only a 15 point win, but again, without seeing it, just, just reading the coverage and, and following along from afar, never really seemed like the game was in doubt at all in the second half. So the Eagles will go into the bye at 6-7. and seven. Like I said, a half game out of a playoff spot right now. Could get to a full game by the time they play again. Two against the football team, one against the Giants, and then at home against the Cowboys week 18. That game is probably going to matter for the Eagles a lot more than it's going to matter for the Cowboys. And it would be wonderful to see the Cowboys tank the game just like the Eagles did to screw the Giants. However, I don't think the Giants will be the, the team that is on the short end of that stick. It could be Washington, but that game in two weeks is a huge one because I said the Eagles are a half game out of a playoff spot. You know who they're behind? The Washington football team. Winners of four in a row. Go figure. I mean, it, it, important football in least. December, John. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's not what we expect. It's the NFC as a whole. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a crazy year. There isn't really one dominant team. Like when it comes time when, for us to do our playoff predictions, honestly, I'm not sure I know. Like usually, there's like a, at least one 
number one seed that we're willing to just like pencil through the bracket and go like, that's it. They're going to the Super Bowl. I, I don't know who that is this year. Well, I'm pretty sure we know who isn't going to be the top seed in the NHL playoffs this year. And that would be our Philadelphia Flyers, who this morning fired Elaine Vigneault after a 7-1 to loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Flyers' eighth loss I'm sorry, in a row. did you say seven? I said seven to one, John. Okay. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> I, I just wanted to make sure I heard that right. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh seven, also the number of points the Flyers are out of a playoff spot, which seems like the season isn't old enough to be that far behind. What with all the points that you can gather from overtime losses and shootouts and all. Especially after the Flyers started the season so well. But there's still about 70% of the season left to go. They're only 22 games in, 23 games in. So it's the kind of thing that NHL teams do. The Premier League is is known for having managers get sacked all throughout the year. There's 20 teams in the Premier League, and there have already been six managerial changes, and they've been playing for like three months. The NHL is the American Sports League where that happens the most because when so many teams make the playoffs – and it's really hard to get separation because even losing teams are picking up points along the way. Seven points out isn't really all that much, and there's still a lot of the season to go. And as the cliche goes, you can't fire all the players. But I feel like just changing the coach is not going to be enough, right? I mentioned Mike Yo taking over the interim coach position. Neither here nor there. I think it's hilarious that there's a coach now in Philly named Yo. Like, come on, that's I mean, <laughs> that's is perfect. This, is his wife's name Adrian? Uh, you are just, you're on fire tonight. Or I rather, uh, I, don't I, know I, 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 don't know I hope I someone there. will light you on fire tonight. I, I feel like there, there are more moves that need to be made. I don't know if the general manager needs to get replaced. I think he's got some, some moves to make. The, the, the power play numbers for the Flyers have fallen off the table in, in, in recent times. I was talking to people who I will describe as much more dedicated fans than I, and there was a consensus among them, and again, really small sample size. They're ready to say goodbye to Claude Giroux for various different reasons. Some, they want him to go have a chance to win a cup because they appreciate what he's done for the Flyers. Others, they just don't think he's any good anymore, and that he's a terrible leader, and shouldn't be the captain, and they should trade him, get rid of him, blow it up. Flyer fans not not doing well right now. No, and it's weird because if you look at his career, when it's all said and done, when you look at Giroux's career, that's a guy who might go to the rank, Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's going to rank at the very top end of what the franchise like of a, a lot of categories uh, for a franchise that has had a lot of great players. Like, what is his legacy going to be as a as a Philadelphia well, athlete? The, the Flyers as a franchise over the years have never really had a super long fallow period, right? I'm sure you remember the mid-90s when the Legion of Doom sprouted up. They had struggled in the early 90s. They they came out of the doldrums. They hadn't been used to that. They're, they're a franchise that has always been good to great. They've, they, they've been kind of the opposite of, of the other Philly teams. They, they always spent money. They always went and got big-name players. And, and, you know, it hasn't resulted in the Stanley Cup for the last four and a half decades, but they're always in the conversation for one of the top teams in the East and in the league. And that's something that I think we, we've come, I guess has spoiled us, but it, we've come to appreciate at least they've always made the effort. At least when Ed Snyder was running the team, they always made the effort. Right. 
And, and some fans I know are unhappy with Comcast as the ownership group now, as opposed to Ed Snyder. But like, like you said, during his tenure, the Flyers haven't had much success with Claude Giroux on the team. He's, he's very much a poster child for the new era of Flyers, where to what you're saying with Ed Snyder is, I used to hear them compared to being the Boston Red Sox of hockey, which at the time made sense. It doesn't make sense now, but uh, to where they would spend a lot of money, always be in it, always fall short. Um, Ed Snyder always had hit the team payroll at the top of the list in the NHL. They were always right, right. You know, a top five team. Like if they had a need in the offseason, he would go and get that need. Ever since the salary cap's been in, they haven't really been able to meet that standard. And you wonder how much that philosophy of I'll just open up my checkbook, um, how much that you covered can't up for do a lot it of anymore. mistakes. Yeah. You can't do it anymore, which is fine. I think that's made a more competitive league. Unfortunately, that means teams in Florida and Carolina are the top of the league, which is not what hockey fans <laughs> are, are used to. Um, but, you know, just looking looking at where the Flyers are now, it's been so long since they've been a thing. And to your point, I, I would say in the like 90s, early 2000s, they were probably the second biggest franchise in Philly Maybe just in terms of being an event where like once the playoffs started, everyone was on board because the Sixers weren't much of a factor except for a brief period with Allen Iverson. The Phillies defined themselves as a small market team. <laughs> you know, the Eagles were clearly number one. You know, there, was, there was no union at that point. You know, they were – and it's, just, it's, it's just something – it's sad. It really is sad as a Philadelphia fan to worry like you, there's a, just a franchise that exists that you flat out cannot get excited about for a, a long a team period that of time. used to be a team that everybody could get excited about. Right. And it's not even like the Sixers who have long periods of drek, but when they're good, they're dominant. I think we just kind of came to take them for granted. Like, yeah. Oh, we know they'll be there in March and April competing for – and. Now they're, they're, they're kind of adrift. Uh, one, one of the things I mentioned before that they're talking about the, the leadership of, of Drew and, and how I feel like a lot of the people I was talking to, they're overvaluing leadership. I remember when Mike Richards and Jeff Carter were going to frat parties and also to the Stanley Cup finals, right? Mike Richards, I believe, was the captain of the team when they went to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2010. I don't know that they had a good leadership culture, but they were good at hockey. All I'm saying is keggers in the dressing room is clearly what the Flyers are lacking. And hey, you're, you're, you're seven points out of a playoff spot. December just started. What do you have to lose? I mean, at this point, I think it was almost inevitable. The only thing is, I, I know that their recent losing streak ha happened against... You know, the upper echelon, like a lot of great teams. So maybe you say, we'll weather this just to see if they bounce back. But at this point, they made all the changes in the offseason. Nothing really came of it. I think it was just a matter of time. Yeah, the dichotomy of I mean, we talked about Jim Curtin as a manager, almost pulling off an upset of historic proportions. And later that same day, the Flyers lose seven to one, their eighth loss in a row, and it gets their coach fired. And then the day after that, 
the 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 biggest Flyers news, even more so than the coach, is a dog pooping on the logo on the ice as a symbol of everything that's going wrong. I think he has now replaced Gritty as the new Flyers mascot. I mean, can he coach? <laughs> well, he's already got a pretty good idea of what the team looks like. Oh, so, there you go. <laughs> on that note, I think we're going to call it a night. I think we're going to take next week off, John. No Eagles game to talk about. The Flyers have a new coach. We'll give them a couple weeks to see if he can, I, I won't say turn things around, but at least you know, prevent the ship from going completely under. Who knows? Maybe Ben Simmons will get traded. We're hearing rumblings in Portland. So a lot could Don't happen in the started. next two weeks. Don't get, we, we almost had a clean podcast. <laughs> I'm about to get upset about this. We should probably stop right I'm now. I'm going to have to put a dollar in the Ben Simmons jar, which is actually just the Carson Wentz jar with a marker crossed out the name. <laughs> <laughs> but you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We're on social media at Philly Frenetics, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, our website, phillyfrenetics.com. Like I say, we'll, we'll take next week off. We'll be back in two weeks with our Philly Frenetics Holiday Spectacular. We will give each other a gift. We will give gifts to the local teams. And maybe we'll have some news to talk about. Maybe the Eagles will be in a playoff spot by that point. Who knows? But whatever happens, we'll be here to talk about it. John, I'll talk to you then. See you then.